What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and it's time for this week's One Last Thing with co-host Slava Cooperstein. Slava, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. I'm just jonesing for the return of um, playoff football to Baltimore. Yeah, only three days away now. Uh, it being Wednesday, we're recording on, and Saturday, of course, the game. Uh, let's jump right in, because we, we we thought the the topic for this show would be looking back at this quality first round of wild card games. Well, this round of wild card games we had in the in the uh uh in the first weekend of the playoffs and, and talk about each of them individually and, and just some takeaways from those I, I i'm i know houston had a big win for starters over the browns um it's still not the sort of thing that immediately concerns me for multiple reasons but what was your take on the game yeah you know um just watching watching those two teams uh play each other i mean one thing that happened that I absolutely was, you know, pr- predicting uh, would happen would be that Joe Flacco would be pretty generous um, <laughs> with the football. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was to the tune of two pick sixes almost back to back. But but aside from that, um, it just struck me that um, that Houston really matched up well um against the browns against what would the browns would be trying to do like you and i asked you know jokingly last week like show me the person who's actually well equipped to you know deal with a miles My- garrett or a highsmith and turns out that person's laramie tunsil um and unlike the ravens who win at the line by having four guys who can win their one-on-one matchups at any given moment, um, you know, but perhaps none are as dominating as a Garrett, you know, the, the Browns really lean heavily on Garrett. So with him being largely neutralized and the Browns really not having much in the way of the secondary, I think also due in part to injuries, they really played very well into what Houston was trying to accomplish offensively. 
Yeah, we've, uh, there's a Know Your Foe episode out there, by the way, so I'm not going to step on too much of what Rivers McCown said and some of our interactions in terms of what's what's really working and what's not for, for Houston right now. Um, one of the things that, that really is very striking is Houston has a better pass blocking line than a run blocking line, and they did a good job against Garrett in this game. Um, Garrett is working through that shoulder injury. He hasn't really been the same down the stretch here these last four or five games. Uh, so, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't think – we look at that and say the Houston edge or the Houston line in general in particular is going to be able to deal with the Ravens. I think, in fact, the Ravens have big advantages on the defensive line versus the offensive line, particularly on the interior where yep. um, they, have a, they have a bunch of small guys and some rookies. Juice Scruggs is a rookie at left guard. Their center is is Dieter, who's a um, unusual 6'6 center. Um, and it, you know, he weighs over 300 pounds, but still that's, that's his weight is not normally proportioned. And you're talking about a couple guys on the interior, Travis Jones and uh, Michael Pierce, who can certifiably get good leverage and bully some people. And, and I hope they'll use some of that one, three match this week. We've been talking about it for a lot of the season. It's only happened a little bit that they've really used those guys one and three at the same time. But I think it'd be a, it'd be a really good way to stop the Houston run is to, to have, the two of them in there at the same time um, as part of a six-man box. Yeah, you know, I I kind of look at the Ravens defensive line, sort of a, a, the philosophy sort of similar to what we've accomplished with the um, receiving core is that it's sort of a numbers game. Um, you know, the ceiling uh, for either may not be as high as some of the other teams in the league, but the floor is a lot higher. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, when you have that many competent guys, um, playing, um, you know, somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna get that first pressure. You're going to get that cleanup pressure. I just think the Ravens, um, I, I was assuaged more than concerned at the end of that game that the Ravens defense is going to present a much better matchup to what Houston is putting out there. Um, and that, and that was my major takeaway. How about, how about yours? Yeah, I, I I think I agree. First of all, I think the the Houston offensive line enormous weakness, and and I didn't see that they. I mean, they didn't allow a bunch of sacks in this game, but they did allow some pressures early on, where interior linemen were were pushing either Dieter or Scruggs right back into the quarterback, and that's not you know that's just it's not a good thing. It, I, Stroud dealt with it in this game, and maybe he will against the Ravens as well. Um, I think one of the things you add that could make it very difficult for um, both quarterbacks, but certainly for Stroud as well. And they depend on his accuracy more than the Ravens even depend on Lamar Jackson, which is really, that's really saying something um, is, is I think if it's a windy game that probably benefits the Ravens net, it will hurt Tucker. It will hurt Jackson in terms of advantages we have in, in both of those areas. But on the other hand, I think the Ravens defense will really benefit from it and, and they can you know, potentially swarm to the football and be very effective. And I think you pat you try to consistently pass deep against the Ravens at your own peril. Um, yes. You know, I, I I I'm not even saying that that's something that the Texans are going to be trying uh, much the way that they did in this game, but um, to 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 do it as much as they did would be, I think, perhaps disastrous. Not sure if I've mentioned this before on this show, but I had this. I, I put this together for the for the radio the other day, and I wanted to make sure I got this on a, on a podcast. The last five games the Ravens have played when they've been had their regular personnel out there. So we're discounting the Pittsburgh game. They faced five of the top 15 quarterbacks in the game. Herbert, Stafford, Lawrence, Purdy, and Tua. 
Okay. On throws of 15 plus yards in those last five weeks combined, the opponents are 16 out of 48 for 423 yards. By the way, those numbers are all fairly normal. You'd expect a lower completion percentage when you throw deep, but with one touchdown and three interceptions and a 47.5 quarterback rating. Uh, the Ravens, you throw deep at your own peril. That's exactly the correct words to use for 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 uh, uh, you know how the Ravens attempt to set up versus any good quarterback. They take away the deep pass first, and then they figure out how they're going to make him very uncomfortable throwing other passes as well, whether that's via pressure, rotation of safeties, or whatnot. But they show that too high look most of the time to start with, and it's been very effective this year. For sure, yeah. I, I all, all that said. Um, you know, you can only play who's in front of you and, uh, and Houston took care of business pretty handily, um, even, even without Flago's assistance. Um, and, uh, they should be very proud of what they accomplished and the future looks bright there and they're going to be a tough opponent next week. Yeah, I, I, I would have probably started with that is that, you know, this is not a gimme game. The Ravens are going to have to come in here very highly focused. They're going to have to not have some of the things that happened in 2019 happen where high leverage plays start to go against them early and they, and they get behind that way and they effectively, uh, you know, lose their, lose their chance to come back in the game because of something like that. Uh, it's not impossible for a game like this to get away early, but on the other hand, I think that they, they match up very well with the Texans. It's a um, game is either nine or nine and a half, depending on where you look right now. Uh, high seventies probability of the Ravens winning the game pr- seems about right to me based on the money line. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's certainly a game. You always face somebody tough in the playoffs. I think this is a very reasonable divisional opponent for the Ravens. Uh, totally. And uh, I think a good analog for like the game flow is sort of how um, the game against Miami started. You know, Miami marched right down the field and they scored. And then mm-hmm. the Ravens knew that they needed to keep pace. They did. And then at that point, the defense kind of got settled into the game. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's sort of how how this game opened up. Yeah, it wouldn't be a shocker at all. I mean, it's if if the Ravens can can do what they have done to a lot of good teams lately and just progressively outscore them and create this boiling frog of progressive despair in their opponents. So it's, it's interesting that the 2000 Ravens, they did it also. Um, you know, they would, they would find cheap ways to score. So it's just the points were three times as valuable. It seemed like in those, in those years, because the Ravens defense didn't allow anything at all. Uh, but they, it was, it, just boiling a frog, progressive despair. You're up three to nothing. You're up ten to nothing. Well, ten to nothing's like McDitka said during the Super Bowl is like twenty-one to nothing for any other team. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I love teams that can impose that kind of progressive despair. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about that Kansas City Miami game. Freezing conditions in Kansas City. Just some of the worst misery for football you've ever seen. Andy Reid's mustache about the grossest thing i've ever seen uh, in terms of, it's gross to start with you know it, it's just completely overgrown but then fill it with all that you know uh residue from from his breath and whatnot it's 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 it's, it's pretty foul yeah no it was uh that that is an image i think that's gonna that's gonna stick you know stick in my head for a long time. Um, you know, I, I actually found this game, this game was a little bit more interesting, um, than, than the score would have suggested. It seemed at times that, um, 
it, it seemed at times that Miami was going to be able to get back into this. There, there, there came a point in the middle of the game where Miami was suddenly forcing field goals. Um, at, unfortunately, they just were never able to really take advantage um, of that with by forcing, you know, by by kind of going for broke and getting some of those chunk plays that they've really been reliant on. And you know, I think I think earlier in the season, maybe when they were a little bit healthier. Um, they were able to kind of, you know, hit those with more consistency. I mean, you know, Tyreek Hill had a lot of key drops in this game. Uh, I mean, it's probably like two or three, but it seemed like a lot more, uh, maybe mm-hmm. just because they were such at, at such important moments. And they, they, they never were able to um, offensively do what they needed to do. Uh, the, the defense actually, I, I felt, acquitted itself pretty nicely considering the yeah. extent of the injuries they had. But uh, um, they just didn't didn't have the firepower to get it done yeah the, I, I one thing that was impressive about miami and you just kind of hit on it here is they really held kansas city down in the red zone and they ended up with four field goals i think they were all pretty much shorties i think the longest one was in the 30s in in, in terms of he might, he might have had one of 40 exactly in the game but anyway it was it was a it was a game of of very short field goals and tough kicking conditions obviously if i had to pick you know, one plus and one negative. Well, I'll, I'll do more than that. The Kansas City on offense, I thought Rasheed Rice looked great. He he looks like a legitimate threat for Mahomes. And if I'm if I'm you know saying where they were before the game, where they were after the game, and the thing that the thing that is a lot better is Rasheed Rice. Rice looks like a real weapon, and Mahomes really needs one. So that's good. If I'm going the other direction, I'd say um, Kelsey didn't look very good. He he had a bad game dropping the ball, but unfortunately, I don't think that's something we can count on going forward. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. But you know, it it, it does. It, he just doesn't look right, um, and hasn't really all year. I mean, he he started off with an injury. You know, one somebody. You know, one wonders whether he ever fully recovered or whether it's just age catching up to him. Um, you know, who knows what he'll look like next year if he chooses to play next year. Um, but uh, but yeah, he doesn't. He just doesn't look quite as explosive as he normally does. It, there was a lot of frustration um, that he was sort of um, sort of not hiding at all. Um, and so some of the um, some of the sort of like season long frustration that the the, the Chiefs have been really consistently uh, putting on display seem seemed to be there. Um, uh, you know, ultimately, I think the Chiefs, the Chiefs defense did a competent job. I don't think the offense was anything special. So sort of more of the same from the Chiefs. Um, um, And I think that they were able to, you know, stay focused, stay calm, keep doing their thing because they are a a team that's been there before. um, And, uh, and they weren't going to get, you know, they weren't going to go crazy or out of control or anything like that in, in this playoff situation. And um, I think they did what they needed to do, but it wasn't anything special. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the same place. The the on on defense, they did look good. Chris Jones was was in the backfield a fair amount during the day, and uh, they, they definitely got a good pressure on Tua that forced him into some very uncomfortable throws. Tua looked terrible in the weather. I think that it's not just a matter of weather with Miami. They really have not beaten anybody, and their signature win is a 22 to 20 home win over Dallas, and Dallas just you know showed up as the fraud they are in this first round of the playoffs. So I just, uh, you know, with a lot of other teams, 
This is an interesting thing with Lamar Jackson. It's like he'll never get them. He'll never play quarterback, and then he'll never get them into the playoffs as a quarterback. And then he did in 2018. And he'll never win in the in the playoffs because look, he's he he couldn't handle the uh, the changes that San Diego made. Now there's a blueprint to beat him. And then he wins the MVP award, and well, still get that playoff thing because he's never going to win. Anyway. It's there's this progressive um, movement of the goalposts or raising the crossbar with Miami. It's never been necessary. You can't get yeah. past the first level. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. they, they, they did win the AFC East. No, they didn't. Buffalo they didn't. didn't. They yeah. didn't. Yeah. So, so except for that, out. they're fine. <laughs> Last time they won the AFC East, we uh, escorted them out. Um, uh, 2001. Expeditiously in 2008. Oh, no, wait, 2008. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So their last playoff win was – the game before they were shut out by Oakland, the game before Oakland was destroyed by the Ravens in 2000. That's so that's just how far ago, how long ago that was. So, uh, I don't know that I really have a lot other to say about that, about that Kansas City game. Um, we did see something that I don't think the Ravens will do, and that is Miami used 18 cover zero looks uh, during the game. And they used 40 against the Ravens in that Thursday night misery sure. where yeah. Jackson could not figure it out. And Roman also could not get it figured out. Um, it, this, this is something you keep doing for a while. Mahomes is the worst quarterback to do it to because he he's one of the best hot readers um, of, of any quarterback in the league. You put pressure in his face. He generally knows exactly what to do with it in terms of where to go with the football. Um, I, it, 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 it didn't seem like a great plan to me, but Miami might've been just out of options because they're so, so banged up. And we saw Justin Houston in there and there's been various talk about bringing back Justin Houston after his year. I guess he spent it with the Panthers in in football purgatory. Um, but they've been talking about bringing him back, but, uh, he was among, you know, their better players in this game on defense, um, and you know, it's, it, that's not saying much, frankly, at this time of year. No, not really. And, and, you know, I think the, um, you know, I think, I think the one last thing is there was, there were some really frustrating situations. I think if you're a, uh, um, Dolphins fan where they kind of got cute on like third and short with some, uh, you know, with some trick plays and, and things like that, or, or, or pitches out, you know, behind the line of, uh, uh, behind the line of scrimmage, uh, sort of recalling our earlier frustrations with Zay Flowers, it just really blew up in their face. Um, so, uh, you know, cautionary tale for the Ravens: don't get cute, pick up the first down, and uh, you know, get get cute on first or second down. Um, uh. Deshaun Elliott had the great. The, I don't know if you saw the picture out there on Twitter. It's one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen of of the the piece of helmet flying off Mahomes as it's cracked and whatnot. Mahomes has got this big wincing thing about him. You can see Elliott the back of his jersey and whatnot. Deshaun Elliott doesn't blow that up and put it in his front hall. I'd be surprised. I think it's it's the kind of thing that uh, that really makes sense. So uh, uh, good for him for making a big play like that. And and I can't believe that they allowed the game to continue with Mahomes on the field. Like he should have to immediately leave the field with a broken helmet like that, or and taking a hit like that. The officials should have been all over him, checking him for concussion anyway, and getting him off the field. But they just don't. They don't impose a um, even-handed um, standard with regard to that. And I, I, I'm very frustrated by that. It's, it's, it's not dissimilar to the, to the rough of the passer problems. 
and well also uh, you, you know and i think that that'll come up a little bit in the um in, in the bills game when we get to that but uh you know you saw stafford took a took an yep. enormous hit and just you know eyes rolled to the back of his head and you know all of a sudden they're like oh yeah you know he's he's fine you know <laughs> curious curious as to how that works but yeah i think i think there'll be some post game concussion realizations out of some of these players which is you know it, it, it's just really bad a few years ago 2014 uh Roethlisberger came it back into the game after he'd been removed for a concussion and he just did it on his own thing it's like nobody can stop him all of a sudden well you know, blow the whistle, get him the hell out of the game. You know, uh, the Ravens were probably actually happy that it was. He, he threw a pick, I think. He threw much a pick after that. Yeah. Yeah. When he came yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's roll on to that Buffalo game. Um, you know, what was interesting, and this is really the poster child game for me for wanting to have the bye week Buffalo, very physical game against Pittsburgh. Um, I think you mentioned earlier that you you're happy the Ravens are not going to be facing Pittsburgh. And I think we may all have our own reasons for this, but what are yours? Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, I've, I've mixed emotions. I, I think, I just think the Ravens are going to play a cleaner game against Houston than they are against the Steelers. Um, I think the Steelers entire MO is we have a talent deficit, particularly on offense. So we're just going to try to gum up the works as best as we can and just kind of get you out of the rhythm of what you're trying to do rather than really accomplish anything of note themselves. Um, And that is sort of where you can kind of get into a situation where all of a sudden, you know, the game's on the line, it's a low scoring game and it's, and and you're just trying to, you know, win it in the last seconds of regulation. I I think the Texans are kind of a, a team that, the Ravens are going to come in and they're going to play. They're going to do what they want to do. And they're going to execute against, you know, a, a challenging opponent, much like they have all season. And I, I don't really want to see a divisional opponent. Um, I think is, is what it is. High stakes. If they play the Steelers for certain in terms of bragging rights, in terms of the crap we'll have to listen to lose a game to the Texans. It'll be bad because it'll be a, it'll be a knock on Lamar. That'll be really hard for him to shake after his second MVP season that he still can't win a playoff game kind of thing, but Mm -hmm. it, it will, it would be a lot worse if it was in the division. You lose three to the Steelers in one game, one year, even though one of them, one of them they should have won. The other one they weren't trying. You know, there's asterisks on these games, but still, uh, they lose a playoff game that would not have an asterisk, and it would be a a really awful loss. Um, I think I I kind of personally I like the combination of Tomlin having the consecutive winning year streak and Tomlin having the consecutive years of not winning a playoff game streak going at the same time. Yeah, I I, I mean they are uh, they are really in football purgatory. I'd be very frustrated if I were a Steelers fan. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest problem is they don't have a quarterback and they don't have any realistic prospects for getting a quarterback. So, you know, if they need to, you know, trade up and trade some first round picks to do it, I mean, they they got to do it because they, you know, there's or or see what Kirk Cousins is doing next year because they they really don't have much to go on. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it, interesting prospect in terms of that because they really don't have the money to do that either. So it, it it would be a you know they they'd really be betting the whole franchise on Kirk Cousins if they brought him in coming and off they, injury at yeah. at an advanced age. Yes, so so lots of lots of problems that would that would go with that. But let's get back to the Buffalo side because I think that's more interesting. And Buffalo, the Ravens have to look forward to Buffalo as a potential opponent. I mean, I can't think Kansas City also is a potential opponent, obviously, but Buffalo um, really badly outmatched Pittsburgh 
But at the same time, they had some significant injuries accrue during the game. And Christian Benford going down is a huge loss for them. Just an enormous loss for them in the secondary theory that's already short Rasul Douglas. Um, they they And already short Tredavious Wright, if you want to go way back. But it, it's interesting that Kair Elam, who's incredibly maligned in Buffalo. He's, he's had two terrible years. Um, after being a number one draft pick at number 23, comes up with a big pick for them that effectively won the ball game. Yeah, it's like you said, it was a very tough, very physical game. The the Steelers' complete inability to get anything going in the passing game. I mean, it was so, it was so, the passing was so errant that it honestly reminded me of watching the bowler days, you know, just, just, a wild pass after wild pass. And then all of a sudden there's like one deep completion out of like the last five, you know, that kind of gets a drive going until it stalls out on the next set of downs, you know, that really played into what the bills were trying to do. They keyed in on the run and stopping the run. Um, And, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the sort of offensive impotence um, from the Steelers really did them in um, as one could predict. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I, I don't think they quite had the stadium dug out there by game time. And, you know, we saw the, all the stuff before the field looked great. And then you, you, you give the fans these, these seats that all have 12 inches of snow on them. And like, uh, yeah, what are they supposed to do with that? You, you, <laughs> you, I, 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 the only option, other option really was to play the game somewhere else, which would have meant a whole ticket redistribution mess and whatnot. To, to go, you know, play the game in Detroit, say, or play the game somewhere where there's a dome, Indianapolis, maybe. Um, actually, Detroit wouldn't have worked because they had their own game, but Indianapolis could have worked, I guess. Um, but then, in order to move that game, it just would have been a, a, a nightmare. Uh, I understand that, and yet trying to play it there and having everybody sit in their in their snow covered seats also did not really seem ideal to me in terms of of uh, you know the fan experience. Well, you know, I, I heard various reports between anywhere between 30 and 60 people were digging out the stadium volunteers. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I, you know, I haven't looked at the Bills financials personally, but it seems to me that they might be able to afford uh, to hire uh, they, a large number of people. To, to they, they did. They put it right out on Twitter. They offered twenty dollars an hour for people to come to Highmark. And then they were subject to the travel ban initially. So they couldn't show up. And so they're saying, well, we have to show up later. And then they 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 were finally exempted from the travel ban by either the governor or the local county executive or whoever it would have been who would have been responsible for this. They were finally able to to get shoveling. They didn't complete the job. I mean, so so large portions yeah. were were you know still undug out. My understanding is they told everybody sit wherever you want, but they couldn't have really done that because they'd have had a huge mess of drunken buffoonery if they'd actually done that. Um, so I think they, you know, Buffalo people deal with this kind of thing all the time. Maybe it's not that big a deal for them to sit in some snow, but uh, it didn't seem like the greatest fan experience. And uh, I, I, I don't really fear Buffalo the way I probably did before the game because of the injuries. The Bernard injury is huge, um, even though he, he went off on a cart and then he had negative x-rays, which is very unusual. Uh, but uh, but I don't think he's going to be back anytime soon. He's got some sort of a sprain. I do not I I don't believe he'd be back for the AFC Championship game. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, um, you know I, I I guess what I would say about Buffalo is that they you know they are a better running team than they've been in recent years. We should give them credit for that. Um, so I think their offense is going to be 
a little more balanced uh, than it's been. But again, you know, I don't, you know, provided that um, Hamilton is healthy, I think that they can kind of handle uh, what they're going to do and, and kind of, you know, maintain that, that too high look pretty well. I, I don't know. They, you know, they've got some good tight ends. Um, I don't know that Gabe Davis is striking fear in the hearts of anybody. And then you could, that frees you up to double um, digs who was prone to kind of getting frustrated. Um, uh, and, uh, and so if you can kind of frustrate him early in, on in the game, he can, he can be taken out a little bit, I think. Um, but definitely not an opponent I would take lightly, but again, just like sort of like what we said about the chiefs, I don't know that they did anything that was particularly Im- impressive or, uh, or concerning, um, that, that would make you fear. But one, one thing, one thing that Buffalo and specifically Josh Allen sort of continue to do, which is a little annoying, um, and, and, you know, people have been talking about is sort of Josh Allen's sort of penchant for, sliding at the last second yep. um and or I, I don't know how you feel about it i kind of think he did a he did one of those fake slides on that 50 plus yard touchdown run of his mm-hmm. um i don't know what a defender's supposed to do about that other than you know if if you if you're hitting him while he's sliding you know go get your money's worth you know yep. like don't and i mean it was it was unbelievable the slide where he he slid at the very last second. In my opinion, he knew that the defender was committing. Yeah. And he slid at the very last second for the purpose of drawing that call, which he got. And the defender did absolutely everything, everything he, he could. could. I mean, everything. He, he 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 let he's he let his arms up. He started turning. You know, the contact was so minimal. And it, it just goes completely against the spirit of the role. Um, I think it's really inappropriate. Um um, I, I think it's a cheap penalty, I, you know, and, and there have been a number of quarterbacks who have, um, I want to say that, I, I think they actually called this right in the Chargers game, I think, where Herbert was like, um, looked like he was trying to gain like the last like yard or two that he could while going out. Um, and so that when the defender hit him out of bounds, they actually didn't. Um, no flag. Yeah, there, there was a no, there was a no flag, but I, I really think that's going to be a, a coached up, trained up part of Josh Allen's game plan uh, if and when the Ravens face him. You know, this is rules changes follow trends that are going in the league, and one of the problems with 2023 as a season is. A lot of depressed off. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fence and a lot of it based on uh, injuries at quarterback. 
So I don't think this is going to be a year where they look at rule changes and they say, yeah, we got to make make it easier for defenders to understand when they can hit a quarterback or not. So I, don't, I, I just don't believe this is the year they'll do it. But at some point, it'll come up again. And, you know, one thing that'll come up again based on this Buffalo game is the possibility of um, how much the NFL doesn't want weather, I'm air quoting this, to impact playoff games and what this is going to mean in terms of having um, – uh, playoff games scheduled at neutral sites. And I think it'll start with the AFC championship game, but just the, the notion of having three Super Bowls instead of one is very attractive to NFL owners in terms of being able to plan for that and have sponsorship for that, that they can drive additional dollars from. Yeah. that, that I mean, that would be a real shame, you know, or, you know, or one of the best things that one of the best benefits um, aside from just getting to play at home, it's just, you know, the fans getting the yeah. experience and the sort of the um, the pride of hosting, uh, you know, one of the championship games um, in your city. Um, and if they don't want uh, weather to impact games, then they should stop allowing teams to build stadiums that don't have retractable roofs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, maybe there's a some sort of, you know, some sort of um, clause or something where uh, the NFL can sort of say like, okay, the weather is going to be bad enough that we're not allowing, you know, allowing the, uh, you know, you have to uh, close the roof and something like that. And that presents its own problems. But um, I think there's maybe a middle ground there. All right, let's move over to the NFC. We're going to be briefer on these because uh, they have less immediate impact on the Ravens. Uh, so the 49ers, of course, off with a bye uh, in this first week. We saw Philadelphia and Tampa on Monday night in a pretty lousy football game. It was about 27-7 at the half or whatever it was. Uh, it wasn't that bad. It was 16-9 at the half, wasn't it? I'm thinking of a different game. But it got out of hand in the second half pretty quickly. Um, the Eagles team, what a awful finish for them this year to lose six of their last seven, I believe it was. Yeah, I mean, they just, uh, you know, whether through injury or other things, they just completely, you know, ran out of juice. Um, and that's a disappointing finish to um, a team that had Super Bowl aspirations and sort of started out that way. Uh, but, you know, uh, when the tush push isn't uh, getting it done, uh, you know, that's when that's when they're in trouble. Um, uh, but it was, you know, I personally, I like to root for Baker Mayfield. I, I think he got a raw deal in Cleveland. Um, and uh, I think he has, you know, sort of done, you know, the, the, the journeyman thing a little bit and, and maybe uh, cemented a home for himself in, uh, in Tampa Bay. It was, good to, it was good to see him succeed. The point was made on the broadcast that Tampa did a really good job of finding the right-priced quarterback who could still help them win, and, and Mayfield was that this year. And um, I, I, I assume – He'll still be part of the plans in Tampa going forward since the, this year went fairly well. Um, but he's uh, he, it's definitely remarkable, even in the NFC South, that you can have the kind of cap problems they had with, with Brady basically coming off the books and still put together a, a, a playoff run out of a year like this. Helps to play in a lousy division, but they do have, um, they do have talent uh, in, in, in some key areas on that roster. Um, I don't see any reason for them to move on from, from Baker, particularly relative to the, um, 
roster option or the quarterback options that they could, you know, reasonably, you know, uh, attain. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the interesting things from that broadcast, um, you know, Ray Lewis was, uh, on the Manning cast, um, for, for, for a period. And he was talking about something that I think really applies to what makes the Ravens defense so great. Um, it was, it was a long play. Um, I don't, I don't even remember what the play was, but there was a long play with some very bad tackling. Of course, you know, if, if there's one thing that's going to get Ray Lewis going, it's, it's bad tackling. And so he, he sort of opined that one of the reasons why, um, why defense can be so bad in the NFL and why, um, you know, why, why, why tackling can be so bad is that a lot of guys, he said, are playing individual defense. Mm-hmm. And I think what he means by that is, or as opposed to team defense, which uh, means that like, you, you know, p- uh, players are taking angles based not on, not just on, you, you know, n- without an understanding of like what's going on around them and what everybody else's responsibility is. If you know yeah. what the guy to the left of you and the guy to the right of you are doing and you understand their responsibilities and you trust them to fulfill those responsibilities ab- absent some information that would suggest that they cannot like the guy fell down or whatever, um, you know, then that puts you in a much better situation to make the play or, or just, just cover the territory that you're supposed to cover. Maybe you don't make the play. Maybe you just need to maintain your particular lane so that when the receiver or the running back cuts back, if they decide to cut back, they're going to run into your waiting arms. Um, and, and I think that's what really makes the Ravens defense so special is that they they are just phenomenal as far as their understanding of where every player in the defense is at any given time. And, and that's part, you know, that's a real credit to the scheme and the players. It, it's it's a real credit to to both for sure for sure. I mean, the Ravens for their entire history basically have been a team that played run defense very much that way. That that they schemed to deny space on the inside of the, the line, make it easier for linebackers to flow to the football, make tackles, et cetera, et cetera. And they they didn't even in two thousand they didn't have a lot of tackles coming from their interior defensive linemen. But Syracuse had some ridiculously low number of tackles, but he was certifiably a great run defender in terms of maintaining his spot and forcing um you know the, the the lanes to be respected and or or actually bifurcating the field sometimes those so sam adams is the guy i think of is more doing that but anyway not to, not to get too far away from this point the ravens with the kind of zone looks they show on a lot of plays and the back to front nature of looking at the play one of the great things about zone defense is everybody is watching the same movie Okay, so you basically are are headed towards the football in the same way, and you have you do have a better understanding of where your where your um, uh, teammate is than you do in in uh, man coverage, which leads to more better tackling. It leads to more second man to the ball opportunities and whatnot. And you give up some things in terms of of separation to get that, but it's it still could be extremely valuable. So I, I think what the Ravens have 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 done with it, the scheme has really proven to be good, and and. I, I think some of the, the mantra we heard earlier in the offseason about um, it's not just knowing uh, what your job is. It's also about understanding how it fits into the scheme. We heard that from some players early on, not just from, say, McDonald or Harbaugh, where I would be more skeptical of the origin of the thing. I think that, that that's actually come to fruition, and we've, we've seen that on the field. So it's, that's been a, one of the really big positives of having McDonald here. No, no doubt about that. I think, you know, 
uh, he, he's, he's definitely unlocked something and, um, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully the, uh, results will remain consistent, um, over, uh, what I, what I'm hoping for will be the next three weeks. Do you trust the post McDonald Ravens to maintain that as an organizational philosophy that they don't lose track of. So Harbaugh stays, McDonald goes. That that's the most likely event at some point over the next couple of years. So uh, the Ravens go and they get Minter from Michigan, or, they, or that'd be actually a very similar one. They go out and they get another guy because Minter, I think, it would definitely be true. They get they, they go out and they get somebody else um, to be their new defensive coordinator. Maybe it's maybe it's Anthony Weaver. Um, do you think that 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 there's enough organizational buy-in to this, that that becomes part of the baseline of what we think of in terms of Ravens defense, that it's, that it's something that you can't uninstill from it. Yeah. So I would say the thing in um, the, the thing that supports the answer being yes, more than anything else is sort of the shift in drafting philosophy. I think, um, you know, I think that DaCosta has a, a, a big departure between DaCosta and Newsom was that Ozzy was still, you know, really fixated on getting these like run stuffers, I think, up to a point where it had sort of become a little bit detrimental um, uh, to the team a little bit. And um, and so, you know, I think if DaCosta is trying to really, you know, focus on on pass defense more than run defense which i think you have to and in the in the modern nfl i would i would imagine that that would be the you know one of the first questions in that in that interview for defensive coordinator now of course you know you know if if uh you know a a defensive coordinator um you know interviewing for the job one time met jack harbaugh at a diner and they had lunch together or something like that that may be well uh, you know, a reason, r- reason to hire him. You know, the Harbaugh's do love to, uh, you know, hire, hire th- their, uh, you know, friends and buddies. Um, Connected and th- people. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes that's been uh, to, to their detriment, but I, but I think that this philosophy has played out in such a, such a profoundly improved way, particularly in stark contrast to some of the glaring, um, you know, failures at high leverage moments um, of like, you know, Wink Martindale, um, who, who otherwise was, you know, quite a good defensive coordinator, right? But I think, I mm-hmm. think they understand, they, they can see the difference, you know, versus like a very, very disciplined um, sort of approach to, uh, to team defense versus what prior defensive coordinators have done. I, I can't imagine them not, trying to pursue that. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about that Detroit game against the LA Rams. Uh, Nice storyline for the city of Detroit to get a home game after all these years, to get a win in the playoffs after, after quite a long time, uh, keep their Super Bowl hopes alive. Um, I gotta say in just watching the game, the, the Rams have, have been one of the hotter teams in the NFL down the stretch, you know, only losing basically to the Ravens. They have one other loss during this, during the down the stretch. But anyway, th- th- primarily their, their big loss was to the Ravens in that overtime game in Baltimore. Um, 
you know, from that perspective, they, they've been quite good. There's nothing all that darn impressive about either of those teams to me. Detroit um, uh, does some things well in the passing game. They have a decent running game. Um, I haven't really been particularly impressed with what they brought defensively to the table. Um, it's just I, I don't see them as a real contender for the Super Bowl, but but I guess we'll see. They're they're you know they're certainly one of the best six or seven teams in the NFL right now. Um, I just it's beating the Rams at home by one, um, and what they did what they did and how they did it in the game just was not that impressive to me. Well, I, I do think that the rest of the NFL is, or the rest of the NFC is thrilled to have the Rams gone because I think if there was a team that was going to give the Niners a run for their money, it was going to be the Rams uh, behind a very good uh, running game, behind a very good passing game, uh, particularly Matt Stafford, been there, done that, very experienced quarterback. Um, I, I think the difference was you know, two things. Number one, the um, Rams didn't, pick up the pass rush well at all um i right. didn't I, you know i didn't examine i examine it you know i just watched the game you know live um so i didn't examine it close enough to see whether it was simply you know winning one-on-one matchups or whether the uh whether detroit was doing something you know special in terms of disguises but i think that was a big difference um and then and then also the rams did the kind of a similar thing to what they did against Baltimore is that they would abandon the run at just the strangest times. Uh, You you know, if you remember, um, I think it was the Rams first drive against the Ravens. They ran the ball like nine consecutive times, Yep. you know, and basically ran it up into the red zone and then went three and out passing. Um, So they did, you know, they they did us a huge favor, I guess, in that moment. And so there were just situations, you know, uh, you know, on short yardage situations where they just elected to pass um, and maybe the idea was, you know, they they're expecting the you know they're expecting the run, so don't run, you know. But I think that's that school of thought maybe is a little bit elementary, particularly when the run is working. Um, so I think they kind of took themselves out of it um, on on a few a few of their offensive drives. Uh, what did you think? Well, uh, okay. First, first of all, in, in terms of what you're talking about, in, in terms of the Rams, I agree that that they ha- they're not always um, uh, consistent in their in their plan there, and in and the abandoning the run it was it was particularly bad. Um, I, I I just I guess I'm um the game kind of got out of hand as Stafford tar- started to take a few hits, but even if I look at what Detroit did in the game, Aiden Hutchinson got a lot of pressure. And I mean, the rest of the, the Detroit defense got very mediocre kind of amount of pressure in this game. And I'm, I, I'm not I, I don't they're not a pressure machine based on what I saw in, in this game. The Rams had been pretty good about avoiding penalties. They've been a pretty decent pass blocking team for a lot of the year. Um, you know, they weren't great in this game at all. There was definitely some some people. The, the, the pocket was getting compressed a little bit on Stafford. But um, I, honestly, there's really nothing on either side of this game that I thought this team is a Super Bowl contender. Sure. Um, it's just it's both of them are, you know, seem to be somewhat limited teams. And in, in that and honestly, even though this is this is very dangerous to say this the week before the Ravens play the Texans. But I kind of felt the same way about the Texans and Browns game. It's a, it's a similar game in terms of of both teams just looked a little bit short in terms of what you need to be to be real competitive in the postseason. 
I, I, I bet it was unbelievably loud also in that, in that, you know, in Detroit, in the dome, you know, Detroit's hungry for a playoff win. You've got, you know, Stafford coming back. So there's just, just a great recipe for just a deafening sort of game. And that could have been the difference um, for, uh, you know, some of these, some of these drives, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you can't, you can't take the Texans lightly, but they, they did what they were supposed to do. Um, and they took advantage of the opportunities that were there. I, I don't know that they did much more than that. So let's talk about, about the Dallas game now. Um, <laughs> Dallas has become the Miami of the, of the NFC at this point. It's been a long time since they've had any success in the playoffs. It's uh, uh, they are a team that uh, were so astoundingly bad in this game against the Packers. They scored two late touchdowns, which really um, close in the game, but they were down forty-eight to sixteen in this game before they before they got two eight-point scores to to finish it off. Uh, Jordan Love looked like. Um, not Brett Favre, maybe Aaron Rodgers in this game in terms of, of being able to throw the ball wherever he wanted to. Um, I think some of that's on the Cowboys defensively. Cowboys have a boomer bust kind of a pass scheme with uh, Bland being the the, the poster, poster child for it with a lot of interceptions and, and a lot of big plays allowed. Um, I just, I, I'm I'm so unimpressed with that Cowboy team and kind of I I, I don't want to keep looking at it. I don't like what it, what it means in terms of schadenfreude for me. But to see Jerry Jones just go, you know, ballistic during and after the game is just—it's—it's it's amusing to me, and I—I—he—he I, he richly deserves it. Oh, I completely agree. Um, you know, at, uh, first of all, uh, the hiring of Mike McCarthy to begin with was just shocking. You know, shocking to me. And then, you know, when the guy goes and admits that he lied in his interview about you know, studying the analytics, you know, the, he shouldn't even get off the podium before being fired. It made, made, he made Jerry Jones look like a bigger fool than Jerry usually looks like. And, um, you know, it, it it's, what, what can you say? The, the Dallas just does not have the metal, the mental toughness, the, um, the ability to, you know, execute in these key situations. And they haven't showed it all season, um, they just happened to have a schedule where they were able to beat beat up on a bunch of powder puff teams, and um, and that really you know gave them the opportunity to you know host a game, and uh, you know I think it says much more about uh, much more positive about the uh, Green Bay Packers sort of uh, you know coming into you know a, a big big lights hostile crowd. And Jordan Love really just showing, you know, that maybe uh, the Packers have gone three for three back to back with their quarterbacks, um, which would be incredible. Run. Incredible. Yeah. Now, they, to me, coming out of this game, as much as, you know, I think a lot of people will latch on to the Detroit story and the fact that they're around they're, Detroit's Detroit um, uh, will play at home again. Right. Because Dallas lost. They will play again at home. Um, but I think the Green Bay Packers now c- come out of this game as very significant NFC contenders, if there is another one. I mean, the AFC, one of the things you look about the about the wagering and the odds on the Super Bowl right now, futures line has shifted way over the 49ers. And it's not because they're a better team than the Ravens. It's because they've got an easier path to get there. 
and you know the the NFC basically all of the or you know the, the good teams will say Dallas lost obviously and the, and the LA Rams who as you mentioned a lot of people thought were were, were going to make some noise in in the NFC um, got beat as well and so that meant that that uh, uh, the Eagles who I think there's still some people out there who had not given up on despite five out of six losses to end the regular season. Um, those teams all out of there, San Francisco is basically sitting at home smoking a cigar on their couch, waiting for whoever they have to play the rest of this postseason. And it will be in San Francisco unless something goes immensely wrong. But the one team that 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 looked better at coming out of this is the Packers. And and maybe the Packers are one who can make noise. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they it's everything seemed to go right, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a good good for Jordan Love, who was under a lot of scrutiny, um, you know, coming into this season and, uh, you know, criticized any time that he sort of made a mistake throughout the season. I think this is a sort of very, very promising um, chapter in his career. Um, you have to feel good about the 49ers chances, but uh, but the Packers can – uh, you know, if they played, if they play like they play against Dallas, you know, they've got, they, a, chance. They've got a, sh- a chance for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do. Th- I think the team that's actually best suited to line up and, and try to be the 49ers is the Ravens. Uh, but as we've you know kind of seen earlier this year, uh, but it could happen. I mean, it could a, a super hot hand from a quarterback is always a possibility. And the 49ers really demonstrated their inability to come from behind against the Ravens. And, and part of that's the Ravens defense, of course. I'm not trying to minimize what they did with all those turnovers. But also when when forced to throw instead of run with the kind of regularity they they had at times, they, they were not as effective, uh, to be sure. So anyway, um, uh, anything else that I we need to talk about from this wild card weekend, Slava? That that uh, comes to mind? No, I, just just that nothing. Like I think the theme is uh, nothing I saw last weekend uh, really uh, raises the concern level for me uh, this weekend. Single elimination game is always uh, sort of the high stakes nature of the playoffs, and you know that's nerve wracking, but that's part of what makes the playoffs great. And, uh, you know, it's time for um, Lamar and, you know, this iteration of the Ravens to to kind of rewrite sort of uh, what, what the narrative has sort of been on them. And, and that starts with a with a win on Saturday. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, really good. But uh, multiple points there. But but th- the Ravens do need to take this opportunity to take care of business. There won't be another good one. The window is closing a little bit after this year with all of the, the, the free agents that are leaving. So this is it for the for the for this version of the Ravens. Potentially for this version of the coaching staff, this might be the last really good chance to win a Super Bowl, and the Ravens need to need to try and convert it. And it's 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 no gimme. There are no absolutes in the playoffs. What do we hear in terms of absolutes this season, or just in the last five or six weeks? One is the Chiefs aren't going to lose again. There's no way the Ravens with three wins are going to going to take the number one seed in the AFC. Not only they, they got it by two games, you know, with with uh, uh, by doing exactly that, um, basically. Uh, you know, then we heard absolutes about the Ravens are definitely playing the Browns. Well, the Browns didn't even win their game. Uh, yes, the other two things did set up for them exactly right, which wasn't a sure thing because Miami was the most likely team for the Ravens to face. Actually, if you if you're looking at the money line, I just I I, I have a lack of kind of a lack of re- respect probably when I see opinions tossed out there that deal in absolutes with regard to playoff wins or losses. 
Ravens better not take this as an absolute that they've got this game won. I don't think they will. I think they have the proper leadership on the team in place right now, uh, specifically with Roquan. And I think a lot of Lamar's experience, but also potentially bled over from what Roquan brings to this table, uh, has made the Ravens you know, a much more steely-eyed closer of a team than they've ever been before. And the balance on the team just sort of lets, you know, if, if one phase of the game starts to get away, uh, you know, this this Ravens team can really um, can really bear down, uh, you know, on the other side of the ball and sort of play really good complementary football. Um, you, you know, something doesn't go right on, uh, you know, there have been moments where, uh, you know, a, a, a turnover on offense has set up a short field for the defense and the defense has been resilient, mentally tough and able to, you know, keep it down to three points score uh, or get a quick three and out depending on, you know, the, the circumstance. So, um, you know, the ability to kind of do that and sort of keep stay in the game and never get too far outside of what you're trying to do and get too derailed, uh, I think really bodes well. And, you know, you just want to, I think there is a, um, this idea that, um, you know, as long as the Ravens have Lamar, you know, they're going to be good and they're, you know, whatever. And, and, and yeah, you know, it's great having a quarterback situation figured out. That's fantastic. But uh, you just have to look at the Eagles, right? The Eagles, pretty much returned their entire roster and infused it with more talent in the off season. And they fell apart. I mean, they got to the playoffs, but they got, they, you know, limped into the playoffs and they, and they fell apart. The um, Bengals were sort of expecting to contend uh, and injuries to Joe Burrow now put them in a situation where they need to resign, you know, some key free agents and they're probably not going to be able to keep all of them. So the window, you know, it's not, it's not just Lamar's window. It's the team's window. Um, so, um, I think they're acutely aware of that. And I think that they're gonna, they're not going to take it for granted, especially after two seasons where Lamar wasn't able to finish healthy. Um, I, I think he really appreciates being back. I mean, the last time he played a playoff game was the one where he got knocked out in Buffalo. Um, so it's been a while and, uh, yeah, it's time to, it's time to take the next step. I'll be I'll be excited to see this happen in terms of complimentary football. So many games this year fit the description you've just given. But if you think about what was going on in the Miami game, the defense had a lot of trouble stopping Miami on those first two drives. Miami scored a touchdown. The Ravens offense responded. Miami was in position to score another touchdown. He'll bobble the ball out of the end zone. 10-7. And pretty much at that point, the Ravens took over that game like nobody can take over a football game and outscored them, what, 49-9 to the rest of the way, I think or whatever it was. So uh, uh, it, it's, it's been great to see that complimentary football played to see the, you know, teams, the, the frog get boiled in the way I'd mentioned earlier this game. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about the Ravens really are in a, are, are in a good position. This is, this, they can't take this opportunity for granted. And I don't think they will. Um, doesn't mean they'll win. I, I don't think they'll let this get away from them. Um, for some of the lack of focus reasons that I think people have pointed to, true or not, in the past. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, if uh, if any team out there is able to take the Ravens' best shot, you know, so be it. But you know, we want to see their best shot. All right. Well, Slava, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. 
I'm on Twitter at Slava Cooperstein. That's S-L-A-V-A-K-U-P-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. All right. I'll see any other folks out there who want to be on a film study short. Hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. In particular, now I'm trying to trying to get together some ideas for the offseason. So we'll probably be recording after the Super Bowl. By the way, if you've got something that's specifically related to the Super Bowl or Super Bowl prep or whatever, there will be time for shows that week as well during the during that off week. So hit me up. I'll promise to get back to you very quickly with uh, a response for your idea or try to boil it down to something I think would make a good episode. And uh, and hopefully we can record very quickly. For Salva Cooperstein, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye, and we'll talk to you next week on One Last Thing. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.